Well, today we're going to talk about a vision that the prophet Ezekiel experienced. And I mean to tell you, this is a cool story. First time I've ever preached on this passage. Why? I have not before now. I have no idea. But, but I, I really enjoyed studying this a, a little bit. Uh, Rita Sewell was telling me in a staff meeting one day that this was her daughter Tracy's favorite uh, miracle in the Bible. And I, I was glad that we were able to include it in the series. Ezekiel was a prophet of a priestly family, the son of Buzi, which that's quite a name. <laughs> um, he was part of his 12-step program. No, 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 no. Uh, <laughs> Ezekiel was taken captive to Babylon around 600 years before Jesus Christ uh, was born on the earth. And five years into this captivity, Ezekiel was called to a prophetic ministry. Now, the word prophecy in the Bible can refer to a couple of things. Usually when I hear prophecy, I think somebody has heard the audible voice of God. God wants me to tell you. And under Holy Spirit supernatural inspiration, we get to hear the word of God. That's why we call the Bible God's holy word. Because we don't believe that this was just a a group of, of really good, good religious people, good solid teachers that just wrote down their thoughts, accurate as they may be, but we believe that this is God's Holy Spirit-inspired word. And that's the kind of prophecy that Ezekiel had, but more than just receiving prophetic knowledge from God, Ezekiel was a prophet in the sense that he was a proclaimer. In that sense, I am a prophet today, that I am a proclaimer of God's word, but the prophecy that I have received is his Holy Bible in its entirety. The audience of Ezekiel were captives who lived near a river, uh, lived uh, near a river near Tel Abib, and he experienced about seven significant visions. And this, by far, is the most famous of them: the Valley of the Dry Bones. Ezekiel's wife was described as the desire of his eyes. It's a very romantic story, and we learn throughout uh, later on in the book of Ezekiel just how much he loved her, but his heart was broken when she was taken from him while in uh, captivity. The Babylonian army seized Jerusalem, and to make it even tougher, Ezekiel was told ahead of time by God that his wife, the the desire of his eyes, was going to be taken from him. And that in and of itself, that pain, that sorrow, that anguish was going to be part of God's object lesson in that the sorrow and the grief of Ezekiel over the desire of his eyes matched the grief of God over the sins of his, of his people. When God's people are rebellious, they suffer. And when God's people suffer, he grieves. And when God grieves, he rebukes and recalls and restores his repentant people. And that's a cycle. If you ever study ancient history, I had that at 8 a.m. <laughs> my senior year in seminary. Um, if you ever study ancient history, you'll... you'll, you'll quickly discover that there are cycles. God's people are blessed and they have great prosperity. And as soon as they do have this great luxury uh, and and a life of ease, they they kind of forget about God. They think they are their own gods in their own driver's seat. And they kind of turn their backs on God and do their own thing. And when they turn their backs on God and they follow after a life of their own personal desires and lusts and what have you, then they are left abandoned for a moment to experience the pain and they are humbled and they hit rock bottom and when you hit rock bottom and there's nowhere else to go you look up and then you realize from how far you've fallen and you repent and God forgives and God restores and then all of a sudden there's prosperity and blessing and you're on the mountaintop again and here starts the cycle all over with God's people 
God was going to do a pretty significant thing. He was going to take the two branches of his people and merge them back into one under Ezekiel's direction. The people that had kind of followed the branch under Joseph and those that had followed the branch under Judah. And so God, later on in this passage, a part that we're not going to study today, but basically two different sticks representing those two branches of God's people. Uh, Ezekiel is told, you put those end to end and God forms one bonded stick. To symbolize he's bringing his people back together again. And he's bringing them back through their repentance and restoration. He wraps up the 37th chapter with a really cool object lesson about God being able to do this with this this stick. And it's a powerful thing. But for our purposes today, we're going to look at the first 14 verses. First, take hold of the hand of the Lord. Take hold of the hand of the Lord. I don't have much uh, to expound on that, except let me share the verse with you. Verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me, Ezekiel says, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. Take the hand of the Lord. Ezekiel says, the hand of the Lord was upon me. And God was going to lead Ezekiel somewhere where he needed to go. And I want you to know, it is always a good thing to take the hand of the Lord. If you find yourself in the middle of that valley of dryness, and you're needing the quenching of his Holy Spirit, the very first step is take hold of the hand of God. When I first became a Christian, there was a song on the radio that says, you know, if you're feeling distant from God, guess who moved? <laughs> because God is faithful and consistent, and he'll never leave you. But when we find ourselves having moved away from God, it is us who has drifted. And the very first step, if you're feeling like the, your soul is as dry as these bones, these sun-bleached bones in this valley, it's time to take hold of the hand of the Lord. The hand of the Lord was upon me, Ezekiel says, and God put him in this valley. The word there for valley most likely means a plain. So a picture like a battlefield. And it's almost like a battlefield in which these warriors of God had lost their war and no one bothered to bury them. And they decayed right where they fell. Which brings us to the next two verses. Seek his refreshment for a parched spirit. Seek his refreshment for a parched spirit. That's what it says. And he led me around among them. Think how creepy that would be. You're walking through this battlefield of all these sun-bleached bones He walked me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? (laughs) Trick question. (laughs) And I answered, O Lord God, you know. The fact that the bones were left scattered out in the open to be picked clean by scavengers, to, to then be dried out by the sun. You've seen, you've come across an animal skeleton, perhaps in the woods or a field somewhere, where it just kind of decayed, where it fell, and where the scavengers had done their part, and then the sun through day after day after day after day, and maybe two or three seasons go by, two or three years of, of all the seasons go by, and those bones are white, aren't they? Every sign of living tissue that was ever in it is gone. It was considered a, a huge um, 
uh, integrity or uh, um, a huge issue uh, for bones, indignity is the word I was looking for, a huge unthinkable indignity to not have a proper burial. The thought that someone would die out on the battlefield and then just be left there, that is a huge indignity. These bones represented the people of God who were rebellious, who had, were given over to sin and suffering and bondage. They had become as sad as those dry bones themselves. But this message today and that passage, quite honestly, it's not so much about the resurrection of a physical body, which we all know God can do. It is, it is to represent people who are dead spiritually because they have separated themselves from God. And in their rebellion, they, they are just as dry as these bleached, sun-bleached bones. God cares about the condition of us when we turn our backs on him, when we follow our own sinful desires. We may think he's unaware, but nothing escapes his knowledge. He knows the condition of our spiritual hearts. You might fool others. You may have even convinced yourself that all is well. But God knows. God always knows the condition of our heart. We might be good at convincing ourselves, but God knows the spiritual heart. God knows when we are following after an addiction, such as pornography, or chemical, or over or under eating, or useless video games. God knows. Has anything in your life taken God's place? He's fully aware when we are distracted from devotion to him through Bible reading and prayer and other things take its place. He knows when we harbor hatred toward others due to jealousy or pride or unwillingness to forgive. He knows when bitterness has hardened our hearts. God knows. And though we may look healthy on the outside, sometimes our spirits are kind of bleached white from the sun. Paul asks the question in Romans 6, 1 and 2. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? Unidentified sin, festering beneath the surface, pulls us away from God. And as it is as ugly an image as desecrated remains spread out over the open public for all to see. God's question for Ezekiel seems to be a no-brainer, doesn't it? Imagine you're hand in hand with God walking through a battlefield where a battle took place a long time ago and there are all these skeletal remains and you're asked that question, can these live again? (laughs) If you were to point out a field of bleached bones to me and ask me if I believed that they could ever regain their flesh and come back to life, I'd have to say, (laughs) no. But things are different when God's the one asking the question, right? Right? Things change uh, under God's uh, direction. He is powerful and he is able to do anything. And his spirit is uh, an amazing, amazing help. The word for spirit is pneumos, means uh, breath or wind. God breathed life into Adam in Genesis 2, 7. And here in Ezekiel 37, God will breathe life into this field of bones that we see in Ezekiel's vision. He can breathe new life into us as well. Whether it is a, a sin of commission that entangles you or the sin of omission 
things that you should do that you don't do, God can set you free and he can breathe new life into your soul. Now, as a prophet, Ezekiel often found himself preaching to people who were about as responsive as these dry bones. <laughs> and so when God's about to work this, this miracle out with these bones, it's not just to illustrate, perhaps, uh, what can happen with the people uh, who are spiritually dried out, but it's an important thing for Ezekiel to see as he takes on this huge challenge to lead the people. They may not be as dead as they look. There's still hope. Uh, parents, <laughs> do you ever feel like you're talking to dry bones when you talk to your kids? Study for your test. Do your chores. Take a bath. Go to bed on time. Nothing seems to happen. Teachers, do you ever wonder if you're speaking another language when the ones, uh, when, when you're talking to your students a different language than maybe they speak? Maybe you wonder if you sound like Charlie Brown's teacher to them. When you say, you'll want to write this down, you might just see this on a test later this week. And you wonder as you're later grading those tests if perhaps what they heard was wah, 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 wah. The vision by God for Ezekiel was going to do more than just inform him. It was going to inspire and encourage him to speak boldly and confidently to a people whose hearts had become dried out. Romans 6.23 is one of the, I think, greatest verses in all of the New Testament um, for many reasons. I mean, you're presenting the gospel to someone. I mean, Romans Romans. Uh, Romans 6.23 is, is a beautiful verse. The wages of sin is death. What we've earned, what we deserve for missing the mark and falling short of God's glory is, is, is death. And here we're not talking about the physical separation of the body and the soul. We're talking about the second death, the separation of the soul from God for all eternity. And if that sentence ended there, how sad would that be? But oh, how beautiful that little three-letter word, B-U-T, is. The wages of sin is death, but... The gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. The message that God was giving Ezekiel in Ezekiel 37 was that his people would live. It's not really about physical remains becoming alive again. Some people have tried to make some connections with the resurrections and so forth. But it's really about the spiritually dead becoming enlivened again with the breath of God breathing life back into them. And regardless of how far spiritually gone you think you are or that you fear your adult children or your parents or your friends may be, I want you to know that God can breathe new life into you or into the ones for whom you've all but lost hope. Nicodemus. You think of John chapter 3, when Nicodemus was listening to Jesus teach, he's there with all of his, his religious scholarly buddies, and he's listening to powerful teaching of Jesus, and many are scoffing, and, and some are doubting, and some are believing, and, and, and Nicodemus is a thinker. He is a processor. He's analytical. He's got to go away and think about it for a time, and in the evening hours, he's finally had all that he could take of pondering this, and he goes and seeks Jesus out, and he says, in your message today, you said that a man must be born again. Now, how is that possible that a man could be born twice? What could it He's supposed to enter his mother's womb and be born a second time? Then Jesus begins to explain that, no, what he's talking about is the second birth, the spiritual birth. Someone has said that if you're born once, you, you die twice. The physical death and then the spiritual separation from God forever. But if you're born twice, born physically and then born again spiritually, then you only die once. The separation of the soul from the body. See, for a Christian... 
Death is really passing from life into life. <laughs> there are three different possibilities for um, Ezekiel's response to, G- to God's question. One is evasive. A lot of people think, well, that's kind of a smart-like answer. God asks him, can these bones live again? And his response was, well, you know. <laughs> In other words, I plead the fifth, no comment. Some people think that it's kind of a rhetorical response. In other words, well, why are you asking me? You know everything. And that's kind of how it reads anyway. That Ezekiel's just saying back to him, well, don't ask me. You're God. <laughs> you tell me. But I think the third possibility is the most accurate. And that's one of trust. That when he says, well, Lord, you know. He's saying, you know And I trust you because you know I'm with you. (laughs) I'm with you. Can these bones live again? No, not really. But with you, (laughs) you know all things are possible. The good news about God is that nothing is impossible for him. And he asked Ezekiel the pointed question, do you believe these bones can come to life and breathe again? Because he was testing Ezekiel's faith. And Ezekiel's answer is along the lines of, you know they can. If your hand is in God's hand and he asks you if you believe that your situation can change, that you can be freed from addiction, that you can turn your back on sin, that you cannot chase after your own selfish desires and you can have a better way of life. And God says, do you think you can? Do you think there's hope? Do you think you can live again? You say yes. Because your hand is in his hand and not because you have enough willpower to overcome life's temptations. You know you can because you're with God and God can. It's true for an individual. It's true for families. It's true for churches. It's true for nations. When the Lord is our God, when the Lord is our God, no bones are too dry. The third thing, proclaim the word of the Lord to spark revival. Proclaim the word of the Lord to spark revival. Listen carefully uh, and read along with me if you don't mind. If you have a Bible or a smartphone there and have the scriptures, you want to read from the screen. The the next verse is 4 through 10. And look at the power of God's word in this whole breathing of new life. This is what it says. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Verse 5. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I'll lay sinews, which are like tendons, upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live. And you know, you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to bone. And I looked And behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, means from every point on the earth, from every place in the earth, from all over, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied. As he had commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and they stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. (laughs) 
These warriors who had been defeated in battle in this vision that had been decayed and whose bones had been bleached by the sun and who were as dead as dust suddenly were standing upright and they had all of their muscles and all of their tissue and they were alive and they weren't just alive but they were a mighty army. Two stages in in that miracle. I didn't catch it at first until I studied a little bit. There are two stages. The first stage is Ezekiel commands the bones to come together. And I love that. We'll talk about this here in a little bit. That rattling of the sound of the bones and the clinking and the clanging of them. They're scattered all over the place. And who knows, you know, if some hyenas or whatever had, had drugged parts of a carcass or parts of a, a, of a cadaver over to one side. And it, you know, anyway, they're, all, they're spread all over the place and they, they all come together. Skeletons. Fully intact, but they're still lifeless, aren't they? Oh, that was a great miracle. Put them all back together. But, but they're still dead. I've, I've had friends who were studying biology or medical, uh, for medical uh, professions, and, and they had to memorize all those bones of the body. Man, there are a lot of them. And all of those bones for all of those Long dead warriors are now all fully intact. But there's another miracle that needs to happen, stage two, and that is the breath of life coming back into them. And I thought this was important too, that he's to prophesy to the, to the breath. And in a minute I'm going to tell you, the breath means the Spirit, Holy Spirit, God's Holy Spirit, part of the Trinity. Ezekiel's not going to command God to do anything. <laughs> this is more of a praying that he's doing beseeching that he's doing, requesting that he's doing. He's calling on God's Holy Spirit to breathe this life into these dead corpses that have been reassembled. I have a great love for the Holy Spirit. We don't talk enough about him. He's a real part of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And they're not necessarily in that order of rank. It's not like he's third place out of three spots. They're equal in their, uh, their enmity, but they are different in their economic function in the sense of how they, how they perform with your salvation. Someone has said that God the Father planned salvation. Remember John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. That Jesus, God the Son, provided salvation by being the spotless lamb on the cross, and that God the Holy Spirit applies that salvation in our lives. He is the sign and the seal of our, of our salvation. He's not a feeling or an emotion or a mysterious ghost. He is God. He's eternal. He was instrumental in creation, and he plays a significant part in our salvation. He's promised to us, as in Acts 2.38, as an indwelling gift when we repent and when we express our new birth in Jesus through believer's baptism. He enables us to pray in ways that we never would be able to. Actually, we pray in our humble attempts uh, to talk to God, and he interprets those prayers with groanings that we cannot even begin to, to utter, Romans 8 tells us. Second um, Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. And the Holy Spirit is the one who continues that ongoing work of God to transform your life so that every day that you're a follower of Christ, you become more and more and more like him. The moment that you are born again into Christ, you are fully saved, redeemed. 
But his redemptive power continues in that he continues to transform you as you stay connected to him and his Holy Spirit does his work in your life. Ephesians 2.5 says, come alive in Christ. And that's exactly what these bones were doing. The process of coming back to life must have been very dramatic. Can you imagine? You know, I believe Ezekiel really saw this vision. He was really there. And the passage even picks up on the sound of the rattling of those bones. Can you imagine? And to see all of that happen? Once a preacher sees a vision like that, (laughs) he ought to be able to really preach. And it did something for Ezekiel. What does God want to bring to life from the ashes for you today? What do you need to take his hand and let him lead you? Let him breathe that life into you as you proclaim his word and watch the spark of revival take place. If you feel far from God, guess who moved? One final thing as we wrap things up, and that is be filled with the Spirit and reclaim hope. Verses 11 through 14. It says, then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Well, that's a sad story. <laughs> but then he says, therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and raise you up from those graves. He's not talking about the graves where the physical remains are buried. He's talking about the spiritual graves that they're in. Oh, my people, I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and I raise you up from the graves, oh, my people, and I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. Psalm 51, 7 through 12 says, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities. And then, this is beautiful. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Uh, I may have omitted saying it earlier, but the word pneumos uh, for spirit is the same word for breath or wind. And we need a fresh breath of God's Holy Spirit. Take hold of his hand. Get in his word. Speak his word because when, when you speak his word, when you prophesy over his word, when you teach and proclaim his word, if you think of the word prophesy is proclaim, when you proclaim his word, that's when that spark of revival takes place. And that's when you regain hope, whether it's for yourself and the dryness of your spiritual bones or for the dryness of the spiritual bones for those for whom you feel like you've lost hope. Don't give up. Can those bones live again? It may not look like they can. But we have a God who can breathe life, no matter how dry, no matter how dusty. What ash heap do you need to climb up out of today?